Hi, this is Nick Spencer, and these guys, right? You're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, still not canceled. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandoned. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and I guess currently an editorial assistant at CBR. You guess? Well, I am. Okay, I you are. Not sure if I should be trumpeting it. You are what you are. This podcast Dan, is in no way affiliated with CBR. Not a CBR podcast. Well, I'm Mark Giannacchio. Uh I am no longer sick, which I think is a Blessing to you, Dan, as the editor of our of our podcast. Yeah, it is great. Um, and in addition to no longer hacking all over the microphone and making Dan like stop and edit things nine hundred times, I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, you do not want, you do not want to have seen the timeline of editing the last episode, which was every other word was a cough. Well, well, Dan, I think it's payback for that one time that your internet just kept quitting on us. And I'm like <laughs> sitting here in New York going like, oh, my God, call Time Warner. <laughs> this podcast was not brought to you by Time Warner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did t- call Time Warner, which means I can thank you all for joining us for the sixth episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, and for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 6 by Dan Slott and Matteo Bufangi. Uh, Reviewing your comments and emails covering this week's Spider News and uh, Dan... He he's no longer sick either, so we will be having some Flash Thompson Flash reviews. Uh, we stopped sharing the bottle of scotch, and man, did that make a difference for our health? It's it's tremendous. The rebound time from Christmas and New Year's turns out it's two weeks. Exactly that that's the incubation period apparently for the, for the Flash Plague. Yeah, and we uh, speaking of two weeks, we want to thank everybody for uh, for tuning in. Uh, we're a couple days late. We had some family things going on that uh, took precedence. So, you know what? I guess that means we really should jump into this because everybody's itching to hear what we thought of issue six. So, uh, I guess that's our cue. Issue six discussion commence. Uh, 
All right, Dan. Well, uh, we are back, and it's, I guess, a new arc, you would say. I mean, it feels like a new arc in a lot of ways for Amazing Spider-Man. We're kind of done with the S.H.I.E.L.D. and Zodiac nonsense, although some future solicitations do indicate that... um, that will be returning. Uh, so, uh, you know, don't, don't celebrate and pop the champagne just yet. Which is funny because, uh, like, I, I don't know about you, Mark, but the last arc really felt unfinished to me, even though I wasn't necessarily desiring more of it. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and, and you know, we'll, this will certainly be reflected in our review. But as a result, this, this, you know, this issue, which, which deals with the return of Mr. Negative to the status quo and also the return of Cloak and Dagger in their inverted negative forms, I guess you would say, um, it kind of felt, I mean, Dan, not for nothing, this almost felt like an inventory story to me, which is, you know, just to say like something that's been kind of like was written well in advance and, and is being kind of plugged in at will. And that's not necessarily a negative thing, no pun intended. Uh, but this, this just felt very different from what we got through the first five issues. I mean, am I, am I being out of whack here and thinking that? No, not at all. I mean, like, I had to double-check the titles page here to make sure that, you know, if this was Dan Slott by himself or if he was getting help from Christos Gage because it really felt like a completely different writer. And I wonder if that uh, can be attributed to getting a new artist on the book. You know, certainly having the new artists, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, gave the book a, a different kind of feel. And I liked uh, Bufagni's work. I'm not familiar with what he's done in the past. I guess he's done something like Avengers Assemble or something. Is that right? Are you familiar with his work? Uh, I have seen it in Avengers Assemble, like in previews, but I've never read those issues. Um, we had some people come because I praised the art in my review, and I know that. Our favorite fan, uh, Alton, likes to pick on us for almost about everything we say. And, uh, and he was commenting that, oh, it's not really high-quality Bufagni art. But um, you know what? I'll take mediocre Bufagni art because I thought this was a real step in the right direction. I um, mean, not to, not to start with a tangent here, Dan, but I do wonder uh, in terms of, you know, with, with Dan Slott's relationships with certain artists, like um, – you know, maybe the further he moves away from kind of his usual stable of artists, if that kind of like changes the way he plots a book, because, uh, you know, we've been talking about Giuseppe Comancoli, and I think we've been in agreement that he's grown tremendously as an artist. Um, but even, even with that said, like the last few issues, we kind of feel have been kind of flat for him and, and the writing's been flat. Um, and we've talked about, I mean, I know Dan, you're probably even a you know, bigger fan of Umberto Ramos than I am. Um, but, you know, even with that, kind of his artwork was kind of, I don't know, like I felt like it was contributing to the, the, the malaise of the book during volume three. Like, like, like it was like, you know, not getting out of its comfort zone or, you know, it was just felt too familiar. So maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, we really liked, for the most part, Renew Your Vows over the summer. And that was with, with uh, Adam Kubert. So that was different. Um, and, um, you know, well, we can't talk about Spider-Verse and uh, what's his name because we know where Spider-Verse ended up, although that ended up with Common Coley. So who knows? But the point being is I wonder if having a new artist kind of changes things up for, for Dan Slott in terms of plotting. Yeah, I think, I think you might be right. I mean, like the parts of Spider-Verse that we liked were uh, the new artists. 
If yeah, you, uh, uh, Olivia uh, Quapel, right? Yeah, Quapel. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, there might be something to that, and you know, I agree with you on Ramos as much a, a fan of his work as I am. Um, I thought he was, you know, terribly misused in Superior Spider-Man. The tone of that book was just not. I, I felt like didn't match his kind of like light, zippy, fun, Kinetic. cartoony style. Yeah. Um, so you know, and and then the opening. You know, of of the book, I I thought looked really beautiful. Volume three, but you know those those scripts were so felt so editorially controlled. You know, inserting new things here, there, left, right, up, down. But um, yeah, yeah just, suffice to say, I liked the art in this book um, because I I think the pacing slowed down a lot, and I wonder if you know the way that uh, Bufagni. Uh, lays out his pages with a lot of like wide imagery and big splash images, um, you know, very unbusy design work. Dan Slott kind of wanted to leave it alone a little bit in terms of the dialogue and and, and things like that. Oh, certainly, though, there are sections of this that are very dialogue heavy. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, with all this being said, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, give the impression that you know. Everything is, you know, all the all the issues we were having with Amazing Spider-Man the last few episodes have been solved. I mean, there 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 are still some of those issues going along here here in ASM six. I mean, you know, chief of that is even with a different tone, this was still very exposition heavy to me. Uh, you know, it, it, it's you know, yeah, we we've talked about this offline, like. This this comparatively to other Spider-Man comics wasn't as heavy plot-wise as other slot books have been, but there still felt like you know there was just some clunky clunky writing in there. I mean, you know, at one point, you know, in the very very beginning, where you know uh, Mister Negative is is being broken out of of where you know of prison. And and cloak and dagger show up and they're working for him. Like I thought it was just clunky. The fact that you know he's even saying you know negative saying cloak and dagger are here and they're working for me. I mean it's like you know like can you rely on the the actual images telling the story instead of having to basically repeat everything you just saw happen on the page? You know what I mean? Like stuff like that, which has just kind of been part of the 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 malaise to use that term again. That's been kind of plaguing this book for a while now. Yeah, I, I agree with you, although I, I want to cut it some slack mainly because the – and I know exactly the instance you're referring to, um, mainly for a number of complications. And, and, and it introduces new problems. Is One, we haven't really seen Cloak and Dagger in the Spider-Man comics since Spider Island Cloak and Dagger. And the, the final issue that they appear in is Amazing Spider-Man 672. Um, and that's the last time we saw this reversed cloak and dagger, which has been, I mean, what, five, five years now, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Give or take. Yeah. So I think there is some precedent for kind of reassuring the reader like, oh, you know, this is kind of new to this world and you didn't miss something. Um, but I will say at the same time, the last time we saw cloak and dagger, they were switched colors and powers um but they uh they weren't evil like the switching of them did not make them you know evil like most of mr negative stuff does um but and that that feeds into what i have often criticized about mr negative is that 
his power set has been so ambiguous and used in so many different ways. Like he touches someone, it creates the anti-venom for some reason. Uh, he touches another person, they go evil for some reason. You know, Martin Lee knows about his all other half sometimes, and other times he's completely unaware of it. So it's, you know, I, I'm hoping that this issue really starts to kind of like lay that groundwork and it's Dan Slott maybe being corrective saying, okay, their powers were switched and that means they're evil now. And Martin Lee doesn't know that the Mr. Negative exists and maybe we can just put all those mistakes behind us and move forward with a more clear interpretation of the character. Yeah, I mean, I was I was even going to say, uh, you know, it's strange. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing the book for being exposition heavy, but at the same time, I kind of felt like this was kind of a, a, a poor reintroduction to readers of who Mr. Negative is. Like, I really didn't get a sense of, you know, if I was, because it has been a while since we've seen him. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the last arc he was a part of was the, one of the anti-venom arcs, right? Like well, I guess back we in, saw him in Spiral. That's true, but yeah. ASM proper, I guess. Yeah, it's been the anti-venom. Yeah, I mean, it just it it, it 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 feels like it's been a while, and even in Spiral, like yeah, he was a key part of it, but he really wasn't like. I mean, that was that was a story between you know Wraith and Spider Man at the end of the day. You know what I mean? That was where the conflict was. It just the the point being is like, you know, I, I especially because his power set does seem to be ambiguous and changing. Like I I, I feel like there needed to be a way that didn't drag the book to a halt, but at the same token still kind of showed to the readers, like, this is who Mr. Negative is and this is why he's a threat. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we didn't get that sense to me in this book. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I think so. It just doesn't bother me as much, mainly because I feel like if you've been reading Slot's run, like, you've kind of been on, like, on board with who Mr. Negative is, or at least I would, I would think you, you would have been. Um, I guess. I mean, like, I, I still see him as kind of like the new guard in terms of villains. So I feel like you kind of need that touch up. It's not like Electro coming back or Doc Ock or, or Sandman. You know, I mean, you know, like if you're a Spider-Man fan, you know the score with these guys. But like guys like Mr. Negative or Moreland or, or you know, these guys that have really only been part of the rogues gallery for the last 10, 15 years, I feel like. You know, you need to kind of every once in a while hit the readers with a reminder. Um, yeah, the, yeah I, I hear you. But at the same time, I didn't like have that complaint when I like saw the Inheritors um, yeah. or um, the Zodiac. You know, like that was that was more of a concern for me there. Here, I feel like at least we're back in Spider-Man ter- territory. But but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a good point. Um. And then, you know, talking about Cloak and Dagger and, and their allegiances and, and, you know, this was one of the problems that I had with um, the premise of this story is like I, I, I feel like, you know, again, this is, this is just a well that Dan Slott as a writer goes back to so often, this idea of like characters – you know, for whatever reason, whether it be mind control or, or you know, in the case of like Black Cat, 
who knows what you would call the motivation there prison i don't know like this this idea of like these characters kind of like flipping their characteristics on the dime to to suit the story and and it's like you know i was racking my brain going back to spider island saying wait did they did cloak and dagger end that story evil and i'm like no they didn't like this is this is something that's obviously happened uh in the interim and i'm sure we'll get some explanation at some point or at least i hope we do but at the same token it's like is this is this the only trick that slot has up his sleeve at this point it feels like you know the last few you know major stories it's like okay well this person says they're working for this person but they're doing this you know i mean the whole premise of superior is you know, Peter is not of right mind. It's Otto running his mind, you know, and then it's, it, you, then you have Black Cat, then you have Cloak and Dagger. You have, um, Karn in, in, uh, Spider-Verse who was with the Inheritors and then he flips sides. It's like, is this, is this the only thing we got is like this, this constant allegiance? It's like, I feel like I'm watching pro wrestling here with, you know, the heel and face turns every second, you know, like, can, can, do we have anything else? You know what I mean? Is this it? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting point. Um, I did I did think it was interesting that their method of switching sides or maintaining their their allegiance switch is by utilizing uh doing drugs um which is you know intentional or not an interesting callback to uh Cloak and Dagger's origins as uh for those who don't know they kind of like because they were created using drugs um they became like drug enforcers uh, often lethal drug enforcers um yeah i mean they're like they're like hardcore vigilantes when we were first introduced to them i mean in terms of you know the anti-drug stuff i mean you know they get they get experimented on and they kind of go you know to the extreme i mean that's that's always a conflict in the early appearances with them in spider-man is like you know like them crossing the line so to speak that spider-man won't cross yeah but what did you think about the actual, like, you know, other than introducing Mr. Negative, what did you think about the actual scene of the breakout? I mean, it's it's a lot of pages in this comic, but, you know, I thought it was a, a really moody and kind of atmospheric thing. I loved the Mr. Uh, uh, Cloak as the moon uh, idea. I thought that was really kind of clever moment. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I feel I feel like it was it was well conceived visually. I, I I thought I mean you know for something that was kind of again a little exposition heavy and kind of it felt dense in terms of you know the percentage if you will of the comic that it took up. But I I I I, I you know at the same token I never really had a true problem with the pacing of this story. I felt that that this whole thing was well paced. Um, or, or, you know, well enough. Um, for, I, I, for an I, intro issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For, for, for kickoff. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't criticize that. I mean, I, 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 I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I, and I thought it, you know, gave, uh, Bufagni some, Bufagni some opportunity to play around with some visuals that I thought he did a good job with. I, I, I for the most part really did like his art. Um, I mean, to go back to that, I mean, I, I, I just, it, it just felt different because it is different from what we've been getting for the last year or so. So, um, but no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely thought it was well-conceived. You? Yeah, me too. Uh, one of the things I really like about his art is the kind of like, I think attention to detail about, um, body language, 
and and how the characters are kind of um, you can get a lot out of it. I mean, even in Mister Negative, kind of like you know, curled up in the fetal position, you know, you get a real sense of how much he's kind of suffered being held in, in the cell that he's in. And, and this will transition to the next scene. We get a scene with Peter and uh, uh, Leanne, who I'm, I'm I not guess sure. Is back. I'm not sure if I want to say that she's his girlfriend, although I, 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 there's certainly something romantic going on there, or at least physical. Um, but you can get a lot out of the way that the two characters are um, you know, like sitting and, and, and walking in the scene. There's a real comfort between the two of them and, and kind of a care in the, uh, in the body language. I mean, she's feeding him uh, uh, dumplings, you know, and that, and that says a lot. And these little details, like we've criticized this book for not really explaining the backstory or how we got here, but little things like that through the art go a long way of communicating relationships to to the reader now dan we've we've said over the years that we've really enjoyed you know one of the constants in spider-man is the is the diverse and interesting supporting cast uh you know with this new volume i mean is is the is the supporting cast getting too big uh i certainly think so um but i think if issues if the pacing can stay like this then I think it could support it. Like one of the things you know, I really like about this issue is that it takes us back to Shanghai and it say, seems to be saying this whole thing, story is going to happen here in this one location. And that allows me to really kind of like figure out what the relationships are and who these characters are. And yes, I had to kind of go back and look at issue one again to figure out what their relationships were. But if we can slow down instead of bopping from London to Africa to wherever um, to the bottom of the sea, uh, I feel like I could grow to care about these characters in these locations. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. You know, you are asking a lot of your readers to kind of keep up and keep pace with, with everything that's going on. Uh, in terms of all these characters, I mean, I, 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 I did have to kind of stop and pause with Leanne and be like, okay, so what's going on? And, and of course, it does still beg the question of what is the relationship there? But I think that's kind of the point is we're not supposed to know. I do think, I don't know, for, and, and, and maybe I'm just being silly about this, but I, 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 you know, after complaining the last two issues about the locale and kind of I don't know. I felt that that the the setting and the atmosphere, the the geography was kind of poorly used. Here, I I feel like I don't know. I, I guess like I can take Spider Man in Shanghai versus Africa or London. I don't know. Like it felt. I don't know. It just felt more organic for the first time in a while. Again, do, do, am I am I off base there? I think I think it feels more organic. I still think Shanghai could be any city, any place. Fair enough. It doesn't look like. I mean, I don't really know a lot about Shanghai, but like, if I if you were to tell me this was New York, I would say, yeah, sure. There's just right. you know, you it's know, it's oh, New York, New York with Chinese script on the walls. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's certainly not far into New York. You know, so right, I, right. I, I, I wouldn't. I you know, it's like, oh, there's a lot of Asian people. Great, that sounds like New York to me. Um, right, <laughs> increasingly more so. Uh, right, yeah. um, but. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, again, the pacing made me, like, it didn't shove it in my face. It didn't go, guess what? It's Shanghai, it's Shanghai, it's Shanghai, and yeah. then really do nothing with it. Um, yeah. And I, I know you haven't read it yet, but Amazing Spider-Man 1.2 leans heavily into location-based um, storytelling, um, almost too much so. So mm. there is a happy balance to find between the two, and, and this is closer to what I wanted. Yeah. Now, one thing we did get in this issue that we've been hammering on is inner monologue in pieces. We we did get some inner Pete here, which, you know, I'm thinking specifically with the scene where there's a moment of hesitation where, you know, Peter is finding out about negative being back in town with his inner demons and Donald. Is Donald part of his inner demons still then? We don't know, I guess. Um, one could only hope. Which I guess is also, in addition to giving us like that insight into Peter's brain, which we have not gotten much of in this series since it restarted. Um, but it also got, you know, by doing that, we got to look into how Peter is kind of changing a little bit. Um, yeah, he still does the responsible thing at the end and, and you know, he's going to do act on that. But that hesitation is key, right? Yeah, it was a really interesting, I mean, like, this is the first appearance of inner monologue, like you said. And an interesting one to choose to bring it back because it it does show a, I think a, a difference. Um, it, to me, I almost I thought about um, you know back in the in the superior arc when he you know was you know potentially causing Otto to hesitate performing the surgery, or when he gets buried by the rubble in issue nine of Superior. Mm. Um, that brief moment of hesitation that is kind of you know a, a part of Peter. You know, a part of the the bad instincts that he has. Um, so that was an interesting thing. You know, of of all the characteristics to highlight by bringing this back, uh, to choose that one. I think Slot likes that one a lot. I think he 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 finds, and this is not me criticizing it. I'm just saying this is just observational here. I think that he he finds zeroing in on that can can be useful for him as a writer to kind of go to interesting places with Peter, um, you know, whether for better or worse, if you will, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I mean, when he did it in superior, we really liked the output of that story a lot. And we know that there were some people who were kind of outraged by it. And I think that they were wrong for being outraged by it. Cause I felt, I do feel it's true to the cat, to the inherent core of the character. Um, so yeah. it's funny here because, it comes back in that scene, and then it's almost like Dan Slott remembered that he could do that because then we get a ton of it in the next scene um, with him uh, you know, saving the civilian from this kind of like runaway a wrecking ball. Um, yes, but then we also get 950 million references to a Miley Cyrus song, which can we, can we, can we please find a way to put a moratorium on like Peter singing pop songs? And you know what? This shows up in the point one issues as well. So I, oh. I think somewhere there's a design document for Spider-Man that says – and really is into female vocalized pop songs. I, I mean I get it. It's funny to have uh, an adult male sing songs by uh, – well, Miley Cyrus is not a teenager anymore, um, which makes me feel old. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like I, 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 it seems like that's just a well that Marvel likes or, or the comic companies. But like, I mean, I'm seriously like, 
I don't know. Like I, I, I feel I, I, it was especially grating in this issue because I feel like it was a joke that went on too long. Am I am I being too grumpy in saying that? I think a little bit because it's literally like in three references. But yeah, no, I was just no I, four. I, I felt it went on one page too many. I think like, when, when he brings it back later and it's stuck in his head, I was like, all right, I got the joke. Yeah. When, I, I always feel like the, the ultimate sign of a crutch, a crutch joke is when like you have a character being like, oh, remember that funny thing I said three, three pages ago? I'm still talking about it. You know what I mean? Like that's just to me like that's the sign of kind of lazy writing in terms of going for, for, for cheap heat, so to speak. I and mean, uh, it's not even that funny – I mean, like, to begin with, one, because we've seen it so many times, but two, it's just kind of, like, observational humor. Like, right. it's not, like, clever sarcasm like Spider-Man, like, good Spider-Man humor is, you know? Right. It's, like, making fun of something so you can get over it. This right. is literally, like, oh, there's a wrecking ball, and I'll sing wrecking ball. Do you get it? Yeah. And, it, and, and, and you know, again, like, not to sound like an old fart, but it, it does end up dating the book because you're going to go back – a Marvel Unlimited or, you know, your back issue collection 10 years from now and be like, wait, what is this a reference to? You know what I mean? Because let's, you know, I'm not trying to doubt the the perseverance of Miley Cyrus on the uh, on the zeitgeist here, but... Um, <laughs> She's not <laughs> the Beatles. I have to say, this isn't like, you know, this isn't, um, you know, Marvel team up with the the not ready for primetime players of Saturday night live in 1976, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I think, I think this will be more easily forgotten. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> um, so, um, on, that's, that, that's my fartiness for the day. Okay. Well, on a positive note, um, you know, I have been farting in the past saying that I really missed Spider-Man action sequences that featured him, um, you know, manipulating his powers and like, you know, you know, using leverage and and basically telling us like what he's doing that Spider-Man-y um, mm. to overcome this force. And I got exactly that in this action scene. So I can't complain about it because I've got him manipulating his web shooters. I've got him like using leverage to flip this weight and – you know, to me, it felt like, great, that's classic Spider-Man action that I want. Clear the wreckage away from the civilians, swing in just in time, shoot your web cartridges. Great. I haven't seen that, and I couldn't even tell you how long. Yeah, but at the same time, what did you think about when negatives guys attack Peter in, in civilian form and he's like flipping around the room and he even throws in a line like, oh, what? I'm a big CEO. You don't think I would have learned, what did he say, like karate or, or, or taekwondo or whatever it was. To I don't know. Like I felt like that was kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Like there was a carelessness there to Peter as a character in terms of trying to hide his identity, which I don't know. I always felt that was like a core part of Peter and Spider-Man. Like we've seen this so many times over the years where like he's in civilian identity and you'll have that moment. Like I think about it, like, like during like the Stern run, we, we would get this a lot like, Oh, I can't do this right now. Or people will know I'm Spider-Man. It's an interesting point. Do they know his identity? No, I don't think they do. Yeah. They do address him as Mr. Parker. Yeah, yeah. I think this is just they're going after P- 
Peter and Parker Industries for some reason, which I'm assuming will be revealed next issue or within this arc. Um, and that's fine. It's not that it's not that's not the issue per se. It's just that I don't know. Like watching Peter flipping. I mean, is this is this to, if this is meant to reflect Peter becoming more careless about his identity, then maybe we can go somewhere interesting with it. But I don't feel that's what this is. I just feel that you know, like. We wanted to have a cool sequence of Peter in a suit flopping around and like, you know, we threw in this line about him hiring people to teach him how to do this because he's rich now. And I don't know. I just I don't I don't buy that. Yeah, I feel that it, 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 it's not very elegant. I mean, certainly Peter has not been super elegant about his explanations for why he can do things, um, you know, dating all the way back to the Stan Lee era. But, yeah, it is it is a, it is a pill to swallow. That he would be able to leap as high as he can and flip in the way that he can. Right. I mean, like I said, especially because like such a production has been made in the past with the character of like, oh, I can't do, you know, I could, you know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm even thinking during like the Stanley era, I could just punch this guy out, but I can't right now because I'm Peter. Or I'm not Spider-Man. Like, I mean, like. You know that so much has been made about that over the years, probably to a fault. But um, you know, what's it, also interesting is in this scene he refers to them as um, as Tandy and Tyrone, as yes. he knows them personally, and right. then later on asks them why their costumes are swapped, which is also a mistake considering he fought alongside them in Spider Island in uh, six seventy two. So um, he would know. This is me pushing my glasses up with one finger. Uh, so, uh, in, uh, in <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 672, um, okay, I hear ya. But, but uh, that's a Dan Slott written comic. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and no one is a stickler for continuity like he is, so, you know, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anything else really pressing on this one for you, Dan? So one of the, one of the things I, I wanted to talk about is, um... This, there's a, there's several scenes with like you know Philip Chang, the White Dragon, and, yes, uh, and Doctor Doctor Wu. Um, I like the Doctor Wu interaction scenes because Doctor Wu is kind of this. He's an interesting character that seems to be torn between his allegiance to his company and to kind of like his nationalist interests. You know, working with the police and kind of keeping things under wrap within Parker Industries. Um, and I thought that was an interesting dynamic, and and that again kind of gets questioned when um, you know Peter has him working on this technology, this green technology, and tells him, you know what, can you hold off on that and try to synthesize an antidote to whatever drug it is that Mister Negative is putting around? And he kind of gives him like, you know, is this how we're going to operate as a company? And um, to me, it was first I thought it was a nice um, like echo of kind of like Batman. And Lucius Fox's kind of relationship, hmm. um, but it's the kind of where these guys don't know his other identity, and so he's kind of treating running this company like being a superhero. Um, that you know, and like Spider-Man always has been like a superhero, where he's just kind of kind of dive into things and wing it, and there's no real kind of plan. Hmm. And, and while that kind of undercuts. How he's been successful, which we've talked about in the past, I do think it is an interesting way of taking the Peter character and kind of, you know, pointing out how he could be successful at being a, a businessman, like you know, using Spider-Man to come up with these solutions, 
which is interesting, but there's also a downside to that, which is everybody working under you kind of thinks you're kind of schizophrenic, you know, and 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 and, and has their own allegiances tested. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, you're you're definitely putting some more thought into it than I have. So something to something to watch, I guess. I'm not trying to dismiss it. I, I just like I I hadn't even thought about that angle. Yeah. So anyway, I'm interested to see how that develops because there was a lot of time spent on this, you know, in the book, like three or four pages, and uh, I thought it was an interesting relationship that I'm looking forward to seeing fleshed out and potentially complicate things for Peter. Okay. So Dan, what's what, what's your grade on this? I am actually going to give this one a B minus as an introductory huh? issue. I thought it was great. All right. Well, I mean, you know, I guess I'm a little more soured from things recently than you are. So I, I'm going to say C plus as a starting point. I mean, I, I think there's I think there's room for it to grow. It's definitely a, a step in the right direction. But I'm not ready to say that the ills of the book have been resolved. So. Um, so that's where I am, Dan. So well, bah humbug, Mark. Bah humbug. We really bah are humbug. just off by a fraction of a grade. But <laughs> but you know, like that, the, the difference between a C and a B is just it feels so vast. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, why don't while while we discuss the the intricacies of letter grades, why don't uh, we also get to your comments and emails? So, of course, we really love it when you guys leave us comments on our iTunes account, uh, you know, and not just comments, but reviews, because that's how we grow as a community. Um, so, you know, again, search on iTunes uh, for Amazing Spider Talk. Leave us, you know, some stars. Leave us some comments. Talk about Papa Joe to Pizza, whatever you need to do. And if that's not enough for you or or if that is too much for you but you want to do something else, then you can email us questions at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. And if that's too much for you or you want to still do something else, you can tweet at us uh, at either SupSpiderTalk uh, on Twitter or ChasingASM blog and then hashtag it OK to print. And whatever uh, we said last week must have really – hit people the right way because we got more comments this week than we've gotten in quite a long time. Maybe it was just me hocking along up on, on the air, Dan. I don't Everybody know. Everybody saw the blood, sweat, and phlegm you put into your work. They're like, oh, my God, we're losing them. We're losing them. <laughs> it's like, a, it's like a, a, a Tinkerbell. You have to clap to keep her alive. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I'm definitely like Tinkerbell <laughs> in many ways. Your comments uh, keep Mark alive. There we go. There we go. I do believe in, in, in Mark. Um, and I do believe in no annuals. Um, so this first comment is from Shane Zander, uh, who writes great podcast, five out of five stars. Thanks for that. Uh, and Shane also writes, I haven't bought a Spider-Man comic since the end of the clone saga. Sorry, Marvel, but I keep up on what's happening to Spider-Man and the comics through a few different podcasts. Of the Spidey-related podcasts that I listen to, this is by far the best of the bunch. Dan and Mark provide well-thought-out reviews and great interviews. So thanks so much, Shane. 
Yes, and I'm Dan. I'm going to be reading the next comment, and I believe very strongly in annuals. So there you go, Mark. But uh, this next one comes from Night Shield, and it's titled Excellent Listen Every Week, 5 out of 5. And Night Shield says, I look forward to this podcast every week. As a hardcore Spider-Man nerd, I have a Mark Bagley Ultimate Spider-Man tattoo on my forearm. I, I, I Personally, I'm championing that, Mark. Wow, good um, for that, yeah. And he says, uh, I've been reading and collecting Spider-Man comics for the last 25 years, and I enjoy Dan and Mark's views on Spider-Man comics and the universe in general. So he must hate Canadian bacon as well. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the great work. You have a fan here. And P.S., if you get a chance, check out my music on iTunes too. I sampled Spider-Man on the intro to my album Loved and Hated. And I checked it out, actually. And it was pretty cool. So, uh, Night Shield, you have a listener in me. Everybody should go check out his Loved and Hated uh, e- or album. Very cool. You think Night Shield's any relation to Night Nurse? I, I, uh, I don't know. Or Night Thrasher? Ooh, oh, Night Thrasher. Oh, Round Robin. That's your story, Dan. <laughs> it is. I think Night Thrasher might help his hip-hop cred a little better than Night Nurse. Okay. Well, the, but then, like, Rosario Dawson is Night Nurse. So That's whatever. true. That is true. Uh, so this next uh, next comment is from Amazing Spider Listener, and they hyphen Spider Listener, so we know that they're a true fan. Uh, it's great stuff, five out of five stars. Dan and Mark know what's up. I mean, who could deny that? Uh, reviews are always going to be a subjective thing, but these guys delve into their opinions and really flesh out their feelings on these books. They're non-review-centric podcasts are uh, informative and entertaining and often feature some pretty big names. These guys are pretty goofy and their antics will grow on you as you continue to listen. <laughs> I'd rate this podcast fan club certified. I do have a question for them, though. I've never been to New York City. Do people in Queens have a particular accent? It recently dawned on me that Spider-Man could have a region-specific accent. I know you've given Flash a Brooklyn accent, but isn't he also from Queens since he and Peter went to the same high school? I, I mean, Dan, I can't speak to how... Flash talks. I mean, you know, the guy's had so much to drink over the years. Who knows why he talks the way he talks? And and this this review seems to cast aspersions on on us that we gave Flash an accent. Like, did we like tie him down and force him to 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 assume this accent? Yeah, well, that, yeah, exactly. I don't even know what that means. Gave him an accent. Flash is Flash. I mean, you know, uh, I, I see him right now. In the corner of my eye. I mean, he's getting ready to come on in a few minutes, Dan. Well, so why, why don't you bring him on for just a second so he can respond to this? Because I, I'd like to hear about how he got this accent that claims to be forced upon him. You really want to have Flash on twice today, uh, Dan? This will be a one-time deal. All right. All right. Okay. Hold on. Flash. Yeah. Flash, get over here. We want to. We want. We're not ready for the reviews yet, but we want to have you on. <laughs> All right, this this better be good. What's going on? So, Flash, you're uh, from Queens, correct? Yeah, I think so. Uh, that seems pretty pretty clear to me. But uh, <laughs> maybe maybe you're boozing it up a little a little ahead why, of time why, here. Why, why why do you need a definitive answer? Well, you know, because because we had we had a listener who uh-huh. asked us. You have listeners. I thought they only came on for me. They actually, well, 
I, I can't actually say they listen to the rest of the podcast, but I'm going to assume that they do. Okay. Let's just forget that. We at least have a listener who listens to your part of the show. Uh-huh. He's curious. You have a Brooklyn accent, but you're from Queens. Explain this to me. No prize it for me. All right. So, you know, like, okay. Well, first of all, you know, we're talking about something that's on the same landmass here. And, yes, I actually used the phrase landmass because I'm a college boy, even though I just went into the military. But I'm a college boy, too. Uh, Queens, Brooklyn, it's the same thing. I don't know if there's a distinctive thing between one and the other. But the fact of the matter is, if you've drank as much as I have over the years, Dan, you just sound the way you sound. So uh, I don't know if that means I'm from Kanasi or from Forest Hills. The fact of the matter is you have a couple of fifths of vodka and whiskey every hour on the hour, and this is what you sound like. So now I'm going to go back into the corner and keep drinking until you stop wasting my time and get me on flash reviews. Capiche? Capiche. Adios. Adios. All right, so uh, f- the the origins of Flash's accent. It it, it, <laughs> it was shockingly honest and <laughs> and civil. Well, you know, I I, I I I I can't I can't speak for for what's gotten into him, but you know, I think I think coming out of that sickness, you know, maybe maybe he kind of had like an outer body experience or something. I don't know. But what, um, what about this? Do you think Peter Parker has a Brooklyn accent? Has has that been explored? Our Queen's accent, has it been explored in the comics before? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the only people in comics who have an accent are like Gambit and Rogue. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I, 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 I just don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, Dan. I mean, th- th- there is nothing in the comics, in all seriousness, that gives any kind of tip-off to a dialect, to me. I don't know. I've never seen it. And it's interesting because, you know, people that you meet in Brooklyn that have an accent like Flashes, it's, you know, typically from families that have been in the city for a while, you know, right. all, all the p- new people moving in. I mean, certainly you don't really have that heavy of an accent despite being a Brooklyner. Um, right. Well, I, I mean, I grew up on Long Island and, and, you know, there are people who will swear to this day that I sound like, you know, very Long Island, and then there are some people like, oh, you don't sound it at all. So I guess it's just – it's all in the ears of the listener. I don't know. There's a hint of it. Do you pick up my Maryland accent when I say water? No. I, I, I mean how about, how about crab – can you say crab cakes? Crab cakes. I can just say, mmm, give me more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get some crab cakes right now, Dan. Oh, wait, no. I think we have another question. It would be hysterical, though, just to put a pin in this, if in the next uh, Spider-Man movie, he, Peter came out and he was like seriously Brook- Brooklyn accent. Hey, how you doing, Jonah? This is this is this is Peter Parker. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that was. That was in Brooklyn. That was something bizarre. <laughs> all right, let's what? get into the next question. All right, all right. I think you're you're up. So, so next up comes a question we got from Eric Cox, and we've definitely made fun of where he's from before. This is Sylvania, Ohio. Ohio! <laughs> and the, uh, the question is, uh, I'd like a serious collector's opinion on comic restoration. In my quest to collect all issues of Amazing Spider-Man, I came across an issue of Amazing Spider-Man number 13. Years later, I was able to submit a select number of books for this CGC to grade. 
and I chose 13 among some others for grading. And when it came back purple tagged, indicating that there was a small color touch-ups on the front cover, my heart sank. I looked at the book as if it wasn't even real anymore. And then I began to question my entire collection and if there were any other books that might have restoration done to them. So my question is, how do you two feel about comic restorations? Does it matter or does it render the book as void, requiring a replacement needed? Thanks and love the show, Eric Cox. Well, I think the more important question, Eric, is what do you think of annuals? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because, um, <laughs> of course, you love them. Yes, right, right. Um, you know, like, Dan, I mean, in all honesty, I always feel squidgy about telling people what what counts or doesn't count, if you will, about their collection. Obviously, you know, you and I have this long-running spat about the validity of annuals as part of the full run of ASM, um, you know, but at the end of the day, my collection is my collection. And, you know, if you're happy with the books that you have and so be it, um, in terms of restoration, I don't believe I own any books that have been restored. Um, I think if I bought a book and found out after the fact that it had been restored and I didn't realize that when I purchased it, I might be a little upset in that, it, that information wasn't made available to me up front. But the same token, like if I have a, you know, there there are books that I own at this point, you know, my older books, like my ASM1, for example, where I've debated, huh, what if I did take that in? I mean, like, you know, like what 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 if I did get this professionally restored so it looks presentable? Um, I don't think it's invalid. It's, 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 it's what what you want your collection to be, you know, like if these are your books, you know, like, I mean, I get that we get this question sometimes saying about the British copies, right? I mean, do those count? I don't know. I mean, what difference does it make? Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't count the British or German copies. Um, otherwise my collection would be a lot cost, cost a lot less. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not the point. Spending money is not the point, but you know, I wanted to be able to say that I, uniformly owned you know all of the american print copies of the book and that's just a rule i made up so like right. if you don't have the money that i happened to have at the time that i was buying them um then great buy british copies you know brought by reprints like it's it's up to you um i think i would be angry if someone sold me the book saying like and and knew that it was restored and didn't tell me that exactly it was restored Mm-hmm. Um, but I have no problem. I thought the same as you about restoring books of mine. And honestly, I don't think I have any books that have been restored because I don't think any of mine are in good enough condition to to require you know to either they're in really great condition and I you know but not like that great of condition. You know, like if, if you were to restore some of my books, I could tell you exactly where to start. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like it comes down to this. I mean, you know, like people who have restored books, I mean, it's, you know, like usually it's like the cover that's touched up or whatever. I mean, you know, if you're somebody who like I have I have my own personal set of rules about what a, what I want my books to look like. Um, but, you know, if your thing is like, you know what, I'd I'd rather a book be restored and look a certain way because it that's what you know that means more to me than you know more power to you but i mean yeah i i, I mean i can I, I guess going to eric's original question i can understand being upset because he, he he clearly was not aware that 
his copy of Amazing Spider-Man 13 was was restored. With that said, your collection is not invalid, Eric. I think your 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 collection is very much valid, right? I mean, can we can we agree to that, Dan? Yeah, it's not a fake Amazing Spider-Man 13. Like if if it was an outside cover and someone had stapled in, you know, reprint interiors, then yeah, you should probably buy a new one. Right, um, right, exactly. <laughs> or photocopies. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I have a couple of books that have crayon on the cover, you know, from like a kid drew a line of crayon or there's a stamp on the cover from, you know, and CGC doesn't consider that damaged because that's just what they did to comics then, you know, right. like, like that doesn't invalidate it in my mind, you know, and I would definitely, if I had the money, which I don't currently because I spent it all getting this collection, <laughs> yeah. um, I would, you know, consider having those stamps removed if I had an indiscriminate amount of funds to to keep doing this. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. I mean, my copy of twenty five um, has been restapled by somebody um, because I bought that copy when I was a teenager, and I was so desperate to own something that was like, you know, ancient in terms of you know Spider Man terms. That I mean, it was. I mean, it was a, a, a reader copy that that some guy was sell, sold me. I mean, I didn't pay much for it. I paid like fifteen bucks for it, and I was like, oh wow, I could own a copy from nineteen, you know, a Ditko Lee issue from nineteen sixty three, sixty four, whatever year it is, uh, for fifteen bucks. And you know, it's it looks good, but it's been restapled. I mean, that's so that's considered restored, right? I mean, you know, like that's. But it's my copy, so what am I going to do at this point? And maybe one day I would replace it, but you know what? I have bigger priorities. Like I'd rather have Amazing Fantasy 15 at this point than a restored copy, than a than a better copy of 25. Yeah, and I think I think there's this whole thing amongst like the fan community that when you're embarking on an endeavor, you need to do it to the fullest extent and like in perfect ethics or whatever you want to call it. I mean, certainly, right. Mark, we aren't aren't going to be the first people to kind of lecture about. You know, taking things too far. We own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but right. you know, we we set up clearly defined you know rules for what our collection is. Like, I'm not buying Spectacular Spider-Man right now because my collection is over for the time being. Um, right. And if you just want to buy JMS issues, great. That let that be your collection. Yeah. Um, or or you could be like Doctor Spidey, our good friend of the show, and have every Spider-Man appearance ever. Yeah, or every Spider-Man anything ever. Yeah, so um, you know, whatever. Follow your bliss. That's the end of the day. So yeah, yeah, and and don't feel like you need to. There's there's no rules, and there's no fan community that's going to look down on you for not having the ideal thing. And if they are, then screw them. It's your personal thing. And there you go. Let it be that. All right, Dan. Well, um, in terms of letting things be, why don't we talk a little bit about some fun. Uh, Shipping Spider-Man news the last few weeks. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Well, Mark. This, yes. This news was certainly interesting um, and one that I, I don't know if I even qualified as news, but I thought it would be something worth discussing is that these books, these spider books, there was a shipping error that sent them out a week early, which is why – I mean my site definitely profited from it. Uh, a profit is the wrong word, but we definitely were able to 
put our reviews up super early for these books because we were able to get our hands on it. And so what happened was is I guess – and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. Diamond and Marvel inadvertently shipped out uh, like several of their books a week early to people um, over the Christmas break. And it kind of forced Marvel's hand you know, to – because these books were selling on eBay and all over the place – uh, to release their books early um, after telling them not to sell them. And so we got new issues on January 1st, um, which then pushed all the other subsequent weeks earlier as well. So we've got already gotten issue six, obviously, and that was over a week ago. Um, yeah, I mean, you had to write the review for me because I couldn't get to the comic book shop when it came out because, you know... I think it was like on the – it was what, like the day after Christmas or something or the day after New Year's or yeah, New Year's it, Day? it was New Year's Day and they also put it out on Comixology early, which you know, right. I guess it's nice to have fast turnaround there. Um, but and then, and then not for nothing, you know, this this past week I believe both ASM 1.2, the, 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 the point one miniseries and then Spider-Gwen were supposed to – you know, were early releases. My comic book shop sent me an email – Saying that even though some stores would be selling them, they would not. Yeah. So I've gotten which, multiple comments like this on our site and on our Facebook page from people saying, you know, oh, my, my shop had them but expressly said that they wouldn't sell them to me. And right. I said, I guess it's time to find a new shop. But, I mean, I can't really blame them. But, you know, I went to my shop and my, my owner, who was, like, really out of it in general, uh, he – had no clue, so I asked him about it, and he was like, "Oh, I was just selling them anyway because he, right. you know he got them, and he's like, I'll put them on the shelf, and you know he doesn't care. He's going to sell these books, so right, right. A very, a very uneven launch, um, you know, a launch of a series, even uh, Spidey Deadpool, um, right? You know, there goes that kind of bungled launch and social media presence or whatever they had planned to roll that out." Yeah, I mean it's 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 just strange. I mean it's kind of tying into a lot of issues with I think Marvel's release schedule as of late. I mean, you know, we've been joking about the very delayed finale of Secret Wars. Um, you know, you kind of kind of makes you wonder what's going on in the back back channels, back rooms of Marvel right now, but um, but this also also seems to be very much on diamond. I know that, you know, I'm, I'm I, I kind of chat up the the person who does the subscription boxes at my local comic book shop, and they were, you know, from a comic book store standpoint, they were very frustrated by it because you know they they solicit something and you know kind of get their store set up just so to reflect it, and then this happened, so they were not happy about it. So um, you know, one would think that. Marvel and Diamond might want to get on the same page here because it's, you know, it's going to hurt the people who actually move their product at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's why our po- – I mean we're such small fish. But, you know, our podcast, you know, we had set up this whole thing to do alternating episodes of our reviews and our essentials. And we've almost – ever since we started that idea, have never been able to do it because the shipping on the book has been so uneven. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean and and, and – 
you know, for me, something that I thought was kind of strange was, you know, we had that one issue the week of Christmas that came out and then this one, which was bumped a week early. And I think, you know, unless there's another error in the shipping, we're not going to get another new issue until the first week of February. I mean, we're talking five weeks between new issues. I mean, that's all, that's a, that's a big cool off period, especially since you just started a new arc, you know, and, and this was supposed to be a, uh, uh, two, two a book a month series. So I, I, I just, I can't make sense of it, Dan. I really can't. I don't know what's been going on lately, but it's, it's not, it just seems off. And like I said, I mean, you know, we can, we can talk about how we've benefited or not benefited from it as a site, as a podcast. Um, but you know, knowing, you know, talking to the comic book pe- shop people, they were not happy. Um, so that's, that's just worth noting. But even like regular readers, like if you're a regular reader and you know, Spider-Man comes out every other week, like just to keep up with it, you need to become this like internet guru, you know, right. You need to start listening to this podcast just to find out what the hell is happening. Right. Right. Which means you should listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Tell your friends. Yes. All right. And speaking of which, uh, why don't we uh, talk about a little little publicity for our 100th episode, Dan? All right. are on episode 99 right now as as you as you are listening to this this is like you're almost part of history here well every episode is history is a part of history at amazing spider talk but um yes that means 99 episodes ago dan gavazin emailed me on twitter or facebook or whatever it was and said hey let's do a podcast about superior spider-man and i was like who is this guy Right? Is that more or less an accurate description of what what happened? I think that was the entire content of the email. And with the weird thing is, you wrote, "Who is this guy?" and sent that to me. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, "Let's do it." <laughs> <laughs> and we had like a, we, we had a conversation over Skype. That was when I discovered the first of the technical difficulties that we would have pretty much every episode. <laughs> And, and, and then a beautiful show was formed. So we are, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this, um, on a Sunday night right now. And later this week, we will be recording our 100th episode. And we want you, our listeners and former guests of the show or just general fans of the show, uh, to be a part of it. So what's a surefire way to be a part of it? By calling our, can we call it our hotline, our spider phone? What's, what's, what are we calling it, Dan? Yeah, we'll call it our, our spider hotline. I like it. All right. So um, by doing that, you call nine red goblins. So, uh, you know, on your little touch-tone phone, as the, the, the VJ or DJ would say, uh, dial, you know, nine R-E-D-G-O-B-L-I-N. Um, it's not and- a 900 number in disguise. No, no, no. It's actually like what, like a nine seven three number or something, or <laughs> yeah, I think so, something like that. Um, you know, so nothing, nothing, nothing too tricky here. Um, leave us a voicemail. Tell us your favorite moments from the show. Tell us congratulations. Tell us go to you know where. Say uh, you ask know a question. Ask a question. Uh, a verdict on uh, annuals. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities here. I'm looking forward to um, when we record this episode this week, Dan, of basically being humiliated and berated by these by these messages. So um, be a part of it and call nine. Red Goblin. And what's great is I've actually – we've gotten a lot of them, and I'm, I've been very tickled by them. And I've heard all of them, and you've heard none of them. So I have heard none of them, yeah. It'll, so. it'll be interesting to kind of surprise you with these uh, on Thursday. So call us by Thursday because we're going to record on Thursday night. Um, call us by then, and you can have it on the show. So if you're one of those people that are waiting till the last minute, the last minute is upon us. You have three days. So uh, there you go. All right. Well, speaking of people who's not long for this world, here comes Flash Thompson. This is two times in one show. What is this? This is this is an intervention flash. Mark no. and I have brought you here. No, stop it. And you're not intervening over anything here. I have a question for you, Mr. Fancy Pants Dan Gavazdin. I did get new pants, thank you. Oh yes, they're, they're beautiful, wonderful. They, are they are they pleated? Yes, actually, and fitted for my liking. Okay, well anyway, here's the problem here. So I hear you're doing this little fancy 100 thing this week. I I did not get any invitation to this episode. Are you telling me that I'm only good enough for the 99th episode of Amazing Spider Talk? Well, Flash, I can't be. When what? have we ever invited you on the show? Oh well, that's that's that that's just hurts. That's just hurts. I'm ratings gold. I'm huge, as someone would say. I don't know who. We don't agree. We don't agree uh, politically with him. I didn't realize you were so politically active. <laughs> I'm, I'm ignorant, but not that ignorant, Dan. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Why can't I be on the 100th episode? You know, Flash, in a spirit of goodwill. Ah, I'm going to go get a drink. Bye. No! <laughs> Well, all right, Dad. So I guess we're off the hook. I we tried. I tried my best. Yeah, well, you know, it's probably for the best. Um, you know, he might he might like offend the phone calls. He might. I don't know. We, we, let's not get into it. All right, that's fair. Um, but uh, flash tops and flash reviews. So here are the rules, kids and adults. Uh, we we will be discussing the Spider Man B books. We get sixty seconds of review. And those reviews are basically boiled down to good or bad, or as we put it, fan club certified or puny Parker. Um, Dan, last time we had this incredible thing where we agreed on everything. Yeah. Uh, how boring. So Super let's, boring. So let's see if uh, trends repeat themselves. Uh, I guess our first book is going to be Spider-Man 2099 number five. Do you want to um, kick it off, Dan? I will, but you know, before we, before we do, I wanted to ask you. You say kids and adults. Do you think anybody is playing this podcast for their unborn children? I, 
<laughs> oh man, now now we're, we're just talking talking to political talking points. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that that might be uh, that might be the cruelest fate to be born to our voices. But uh, yeah, to hear to hear us in the womb. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so Spider Man twenty ninety nine number five. Yeah, you, you want to catch me in? Let here, me Mark? catch you in in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark. Uh, here we're getting the continuing story of Spider Man and Captain America twenty ninety nines as they battle a guy, you know, just some guy from the future. This time, uh, though, in Times Square, and I have to admit that this book features what I, I consider some of Will, Sline, Will Sliney's best artwork yet, and uh, I thought the battle was a lot of fun to read, you know, for a slugfest. Um, and yet, I'm still looking for a reason to care about both of these new characters, Captain America 2099 and this guy from the future. Uh, there's just too many moving pieces and too many new characters to get invested in any one thing. And then the book ends on a cliffhanger that introduces two new characters to the story. Come on, Peter David. Uh, you had me with that first issue. Can we get back to that? I'm calling this one Puny Parker. All right, then. Well, why don't you count me in? All right, I will. In three, two, one. So surefire sign that I'm not enjoying a book. I actually had to go back and check my Comixology app to make sure I read this comic before jotting down some notes for this flash review. Uh, simply put, there's nothing inherently wrong with the story being told, but I also can't say it's gripping or engaging uh, in any kind of meaningful way. Uh, there's an over-reliance on a character that's a Secret Wars holdover, so unless you were really excited by Secret Wars 2099, I'm not going to be not really sure that you'll be enjoying this current book. You know, also there's this other guy that they're fighting from the future that we don't know much about, as you as you referred to, Dan. Uh, so as much as I hate to say it. Between all of the spider books right now, 2099 to me is looking more and more like the odd man out, like it doesn't fit in, it doesn't have a place. Uh, so uh, reflective of that, I'm going to say Puny Parker. It looks like we're one for one here, Mark. Okay, here we go. So next one is Spidey number two in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, I know I said I wasn't going to be picking this book up anymore, but in order to help get it reviewed early for my site, I did actually pick up a copy, and guess what? I'm glad I did. Uh, I, I still have no idea why Marvel advertised the book the way they did, other than to try to boost sales with long-term readers. And I don't know how long this story will last, if you want to call it like a ongoing story. But um, this is the most Stanley, Steve Ditko, Spider-Man comic I've read in a while. Uh Thompson's writing is light and fun with a wonderful through line about Peter's various selves that I liked quite a lot. And boy, Nick Bradshaw's artwork is just the kind of off-kilter beautiful fun that I like to see in a Spider-Man book. Uh, I can't believe I'm admitting this, Mark, but uh, I'm on board with this book. And I wish the title, the main title, Amazing Spider-Man, could actually be this enjoyable of a read. So I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified. All right. See, people can change, Dan. People can change. I'm just getting over how they marketed it. I know. I know. Well, why don't you count me in? All right. Three, two, and a one. Oh, well, I hate to say it, 
but I find this book absolutely charming. I'm still not sure if I'm the target audience here, as the series definitely has a for new readers vibe to it. But I think this is this 2015-16 update, if you will, of Peter is really fresh and exciting. Despite the fact that it's not steeped in continuity, regardless of what Marvel told you, uh, I do find that uh, spite, this Spidey is more reflective of what I love about the character than what we're currently getting in the mainstream book. That sounds familiar, right, Dan? Uh, the courtship, courtship between Peter and Gwen is adorable, and the inner monologue while finding Sandman cracking jokes internally and externally is exactly what drew me to Spider-Man as a child in the first place. I'm going to say fan club certified. All right, two for two, Mark. Oh, man, and Carnage, because, you know, we both have such divergent opinions on Carnage. There's no way that we're going to go three for three. Oh, man, are we hitting this one out of the park? <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, what can you say about a book as consistent as Jerry Conway and Mike Perkins' Carnage? Like you said in your review on the site, uh, while reading the book, I found myself preparing myself every other page for this book to fall into familiar comic book tropes that have been done to death over the years, especially in regards to Carnage and Venom. And then when none of this happened, particularly because Conley went out of his way to make me think that they were going to happen, only to pull the rug out from under me, uh, I loved it. I was thrilled. I do have to say, though, that I didn't love the repetitive use of half-page splashes to showcase the man-wolf versus Carnage battle that was intended to break up the dialogue. Uh, they were, I thought they were pretty, but um, the overuse of splashes for me tends to reduce their visual punch and effectiveness. But, I mean, regardless of that, this one is far and away fan club certified. Okay, Dan. Please allow myself to introduce myself. All right. Well, three, two, one. <laughs> Jerry Conway and Mike Perkins continue to find new ways to surprise me with this series, most notably in the third issue where everything was set up for a symbiote showdown and the book then took a hard turn in another direction. And by changing direction so definitely and unexpectedly, Carnage is fast becoming one of my favorite books of the month. And Conway is really establishing himself as someone who can keep reinventing himself as a writer while still showing off some elements of old. Very similar of how he's cast Carnage in this book. Familiar, yet excitedly different. Uh, it's short and sweet, kind of like my review on Superior Spider-Tuck was. I'm saying fan club certified. And there we go. Three for three, Mark. Uh, oh, my goodness. We're so boring, Dan. We need to fight about something again. You know what? I hated Carnage. I hate you. All right, that's fair. Okay, well, why don't you take us home while we, you know, lick our wounds and stuff? Right. Well, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts, all 99 of them. Woo! Woo! At com, or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And like we said earlier, if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. Yeah, be sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, which has not approached 100 episodes yet. There are 30 episodes. Good for them. Um, and most of all, leave us a voicemail at 9 Red Goblin so we can include your audio message on our upcoming, upcoming, our, our next 100th episode. Yeah, so like we said, next week is going to be our 100th episode. Did you guys, did you guys hear that yet? 100, 100, 100. Yeah, and um, we're going to be discussing our feelings about the uh, centennial issues of Spider-Man, which, uh, Mark, I think you and I disagree on in some ways. In some ways. I mean, you know, not like – we're not similar like Flash Tops and Flash Reviews similar, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have some differences of opinions. 
Yeah, and we're going to listen to all your awesome voicemails. And then we're going to have – we have a really big special announcement of the relaunch of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, which I think a lot of you will find very exciting because it's something that we've been working on for almost a year. Uh, So uh, get ready for that. I know it doesn't sound particularly sexy, but I think when we do reveal it, you're going to think it's really cool. Definitely. Um, so, uh, and also, of course, give us a call again, right? Nine Red Goblin. Say it again. Say it again. Yeah, and that's, yes, again, how you're going to join us on the show. And, uh, man, I can't wait, Mark. It's going to be a, a nice trip through uh, memories and, and, and all the heartfelt feelings we've, we've had over the years <laughs> doing this incredible show. Like, remember that one time uh, your internet kept going out? All right, Mark. We got it. We got it. All right. Well, where 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 can we find you on uh, the social medias and whatnot, Dan? Yeah, of course. You can follow me on Twitter at at Dan Gavazdin or my Spider Man account at at Sup Spider Talk, and read all of my writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk dot com. Uh, and, and I guess that of all of our contributors to the site. And I just recently put up my top 10 films of 2015 on my site, grindmyreels.com. Uh, I watched 247 movies last year, Mark, and I had to choose 10 of them for my list. So uh, go check that out. It's a lot of fun. That's that's pretty impressive, Dan. Well, um, as someone who's probably seen about a dozen movies this past year, um, I like Spy. Was Spy on your list? Spy was in like I think my top twenty five. Okay, that yeah. was that was the last like relatively recent movie I saw. That was a very like, funny I, movie. One of the, one of the few good comedies to come out this year. Yes, yes. Uh, anyway, but uh, to find my non movie reviews, you can follow me on Twitter at chasing asm blog, and of course you can read my writings on superiorspidertalk.com. Uh, we we kicked off a new list this past week of top ten. Spider-Man mutant stories. Uh, we kind of hit a little bit of a standstill as we were dealing with some personal stuff, as as we alluded to earlier in the show. Uh, but I, I assure you all that that list will continue over the next couple of days, uh, and we will be counting down. So we're talking about team-ups and fights with Spider-Man and the X-Men and Wolverine and, and Deadpool and, uh, you know, Magneto and, and anyone who's a mutant. So, uh, you know, and, and believe me, if I end up classifying someone as a mutant who's not a mutant, I know the mutant fans will let me know because that is something that they do. <laughs> this is we're going to have Spider-Man team up with himself because he's certainly a mutant, right, Mark? Yeah. Uh, well, exactly. Well, there was one time on another on a, for another side I referred to Juggernaut as a mutant. I was told he's not a mutant, so you will not see any Spider-Man Juggernaut stories. Yeah, and Spider-Man, as everybody knows, is everybody's favorite non-mutant uh, superhero. superhero. Yes, yeah. as Jim, as Jim Salakrup probably coined back in the early '90s to um, you know on the front of the on the magazine. So um, so anyway. So, that, so look for that list over the next few weeks, and uh, Dan, this should be a fun one. We had a we had a story to kick it off from front of the show, Kevin Shinnick from Avenging Spider Man, which is like I didn't, first I was kind of I felt a little gun shy doing something so recent, but you know what? I was a fun Deadpool Spider Man story. So, I love uh, that story. Yeah, I mean, and a hypno hustler who's probably not a mutant, but should be a mutant, right? Yeah, probably. Well, you know, Mark, one thing I do know about you for a fact. Yes. Uh, other than. I just learned about you that you screwed up the juggernaut thing, but I do know, I did know and do know 
that you're not a big fan of Montreal bagels or Canadian bacon, but I had heard a rumor that you like to butter both sides of your bread. Is that, is that I, true? I mean, who doesn't? But yeah, I do. I do. That's very true. But I've, I've also heard, you know, speaking of two sides of things, mm-hmm. I had heard that Uncle Ben, you know, he had two sides to him, like two completely different personalities. Uh, you know, would you like to tell me more about this, perhaps in the form of an improvised tale that spirals into insanity? Oh, yes, sure. Um, okay. So, um, you know, like like most people who grew up in the 80s, uh, my Uncle Ben was a huge fan of the uh, Michael Keaton movie Multiplicity. Ah, oh, yes. I of mean, course. I mean, speaking of great comedies, right? I think I that mean, was the '90s, though. Ah, oh, well, the, the point being, no, that wasn't that wasn't post Batman. That had to be that had to be '80s, Dan. Come on, don't don't lie to me. I'm pretty sure. That it was in the 90s. I'm going to look this up right now before I continue with my tale of woe here. Oh, damn. 1996. Okay. (laughs) Very well nestled in the 90s. (laughs) Anywho. So so point being, Uncle Ben loved himself some multiplicity. uh, So much so that that he too uh, came up with a way to clone himself. Isn't that what that, that... It was his own clone saga. Really? So, yeah. Um, so what you actually saw wasn't that two sides. No, he, he, there were multiple Uncle Bens. Some were like, you know, there was like the Uncle Ben that like just kept saying he liked pizza. Remember that one? He was kind of a little special, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then there was like evil Uncle Ben and like, you know, world dominating Uncle Ben. Also not to be confused with like the Reed Richards from the multiverse from the Jonathan Hickman run. Very similar, right? Yeah, absolutely. Was 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 there cross dressing, Uncle Ben? Like, is it like, does it get into like Gremlins level territory of cloning? Ex- ex- exactly. Um, you know, but the problem was, you know, I think I think Uncle Ben got a little too intense with the Michael Keaton stuff and uh, confused multiplicity with Birdman, and he jumped out the window and died. The end. But. He wanted to impart some wisdom as he thought he was flying out the window as Birdman, which was, with great podcasts must also come Amazing Spider Talk. 